illness is a very painful and challenging part of life. And really it's, it's a preview of, of death. So I want to talk a little bit about death, although this could be another talk before we get into illness. Through practice, you can conquer death. Or let's put it this way, you can really see clearly that the body and mind, the personality, the person that you are that's going to live on this earth for however long, maximum 115 years, um, is a story, is, is a character, is one manifestation or incarnation of truth, of the, the true self. And so it's sad when this small self, this person that you know of as yourself or when others uh, die. It's sad, but it's nothing to, to fear. And when you practice, as you practice, you are essentially training yourself how to die. You're getting used to letting go of the person you used to be. You're getting used to clearing out or seeing your life flash before your eyes and, and making um, confession or penance for all of your sins. You're, you're doing that every day for an hour or, or two a day. Um, or in retreats or throughout the day as you're mindfully walking and mindfully washing the dishes. You just are changing fundamentally how your mind works so that rather than face all of these things as you approach death, including the fear, you start early. It's like early preparation for death. And you sort of... Um, as they say in Zen, if you die before you die, then when you die, you don't die. Right? So if you, if you die to your ego before you physically die, then when you physically die, it doesn't feel as much like a, a real death because you've already dealt with the ego part of it. And so you're just seeing it's the body that's coming to an end. But you are happily transformed into something else already. You know you've already transformed. You've already done the work of transforming yourself or your soul. Now, I'm no expert. I'm not, I have not died and, or had a near-death experience and, and seen certain things. But um, that's my general sense, is that I, I've seen enough to say, oh, now I see that. Because when you kind of see through the... the you see the impermanence of the body, 
see how it transforms just by looking at it in a different way. You can begin to see, you can begin to understand that um, a physical death is not really a death. It's a, it's a change, it's a transformation. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's sad and you're losing a bunch of things. You're losing all of the things that you hold dear to yourself. But the analogy that I have is, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to not be invited to a party that you want to go to versus being invited to the party and having to send your regrets, not being able to go because you have something else to do. So if you, in the, in the first case, if you're not preparing for death, you're just living your life and you're not practicing and you're, and you're not preparing for this inevitable moment, then once it seems closer on the horizon or you're anticipating it, then you start to feel this, oh gosh, I'm just going to miss out on this life. I'm not going to see anyone again. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be here anymore. And it feels cold and, and or could feel cold and, and sad, much more sad, because it feels like you're, you're not even being invited. You're just being left out in the cold. Whereas if you do practice and you are preparing for, for death, when you die, yeah, it's sad you're not going to be hanging out at the party with everyone else that's still alive. But you're just choosing to go somewhere else. Like you have other plans. You have other plans. And in a way, you'll be back. You'll be back in a different form. You know that. You begin to even have a sense that you can consciously choose certain aspects of your reincarnation. You'll see there's certain challenges you've come in with, into this life with, that you've overcome, if not partially, completely. And you can kind of begin to say, you know what, next time, like this body, it's like this, like I look like this, or my experience in life is like this, there's only so much I can change. But I know I've overcome it substantially, so that the next time I'm born in a body, I think it's gonna be this way or that way. So illness is a preview to all this. And someone who's struck by an illness, and I'm talking here an injury, um, an, an internal illness of some sort that impairs your function or, or really drastically changes where you invest your time. This can be very hard for anyone, but it can also give you an opportunity to start practicing Dharma and start practicing for death much sooner, which in some ways you could just see, well, it's a catalyst for getting started with practice. But if you, if you have chronic pain or you have an illness, it can be really hard to live that way because you feel like well, everyone else just gets to not have to think about this or that thing. They don't have to think about what they eat. They don't have to think about where they go. Um, you know, if you have 
a wheelchair or a brace or a cane or a special kind of medication you need to take or a catheter or um, all any sort of um, life support system you know and there's other people they just wake up they don't think about it they brush their teeth they run around they get groceries they do things they're not even one they don't have to think about anything but also they are just totally taken for granted i mean not necessarily don't know but most people probably take for granted the good health that they have and that can be one of the hardest parts of dealing with an illness is feeling like you've been struck by this thing and other people haven't and so maybe there's something you did wrong or that you're not trying hard enough with something you know so if you tell someone you have a disease one of the first things they'll say is oh have you tried this or that you know or maybe you should try doing this or maybe it's because you had did this everyone's looking for causes and solutions so very rarely does someone, first of all, empathize with you right off the bat and feel compassion for you. Because the truth of the matter is, is that an illness is inevitable in the same way that, disease, that death is. Old age is inevitable. And with old age comes illness. Even in youth, you can have illness or, or injury that can affect the quote-unquote quality of your life. And if you're a smart person, you'll probably put a lot of energy. You'll plan a project around trying to fix it. You know, you'll look for every single mod treatment modality. You'll see every doctor. You'll do acupuncture. You'll change your diet. Because there's tons of books out there claiming that it, this is the cause of your illness and this is how it's gonna, how you're going to fix it. Just eat more carrots and we'll take care of this thing you have. Or, um, you know, don't do surgery, do surgery, do this, don't do that. Oh, if you have this illness, it's because you have resentment or, or grief that you've been holding on to. Or, and you know, a lot of that stuff is true. It is true that there are causes to your illness. But there's a way in which feeling that way, not, not that we want to be in denial about it, but, but pointing that out to someone or even to yourself, because of our natural egoic state of mind, we tend to apply shame and guilt and fear right away. Fear that it'll never get better, despair that it will never get better, Guilt that we must have done something wrong to deserve it. Why me? Why is this happening to me? And on the flip side, I'm like, oh, well, I know why this is happening to me. And therefore, I deserve it. And I want secretly to be punished. Or I must be being punished. And then depending on the illness, we feel it's okay to talk about or not okay to talk about, depending on what it is. Because there are social constructs that make certain illnesses shameful which actually get in the way of healing. If we had ma could magically change the culture we lived in, 
if you had certain disease, people viewed it differently. You might actually find yourself getting better in one culture and, and staying ill in a different in a different one. There's so many factors. There's physical, psychological, spiritual, chemical, hormonal, random accidents. I mean, you want to say, here's a man who has been working in a mine, uh, you know, for 30 years, and he's operated the same piece of machinery. He's trained, he's careful. And then there's something that goes wrong with the machine. And there's an explosion or a fire or something. And he gets injured, loses a limb. Is that he's a bad person because he's he's done that? He's it's his karma. You know, we, we talked last week about karma isn't personal. So there's karma there. You know, does that mean that in a past life he cut someone else's arm off? It's hard to know. And it's probably better not to try to think, figure that out. So it's not, oh my gosh, I lost a limb. And now I can't, you know, open up a can of pickles, a jar of pickles, eat so easily. But why me? Why did this happen? Well, you can't always get an answer to that. And even if you do get an answer to that, which is, well, you worked in a mine and you, you're standing next to this machine and this machine has the possibility to do that. Well, therefore, since it has a possibility to do that thing, that's a possibility that you'd have that injury. And you could have chosen not to work in a mine, maybe, and had you, I don't know, a different influence in your life, you might have chose to work in um, the government, in which case there would have been different hazards. And had you chosen that, then you wouldn't have had this, this accident. But who knows, like, how can you go back and, and guilt yourself for every single decision and every, everything that you make? And even if there's a very clear decision that resulted in this thing happening to you, you know, like you were, you were negligent or careless and then, or, or evil or, or lying or trying to get something from someone and then you had an accident as a result of that or a disease as a result of that. Um, even that, should we not forgive that? Or should that person not somehow be able to forgive themselves for that? So karma plays into this strongly, like our discussions on karma. But when you look at an illness, you, you can't, since we know that illness is inevitable, it's almost a waste of energy to say, well, why did I get this illness? In, to ask that question in that way, because you're almost always going to come up either with an empty response or a response that's tainted with guilt. So what happens instead, or what, what I would suggest instead, when you're working with chronic pain or illness or some sort of disability, when you face it and you just experience it, you should definitely assume you know, there is karma to it. But the karma isn't personal. It's not your. It's not your karma. It's your responsibility to look at it and deal with it. 
And in a space of non-judgmental, mindful awareness, you might get clarity about what caused it. But only in a free exploration of cause and effect should you, should you do that. Or will it feel productive? If there's guilt, or shame, or judgment, then you're not truly addressing the karma. In fact, the guilt and the shame and the judgment repeats the pattern of karma in, in a lot of cases. A lot of diseases get worse when we worry or feel guilty about them. Or we become ineffective at being able to treat them. So there are certainly things, injuries and diseases that are purely chemical or physical. But the psychological, spiritual piece of well, how do we view them, how do we deal with them, um, plays a huge part in how we suffer or not with them and whether how much productive healing we can put into it or not. But ultimately, the illness, the teacher of the illness is not to get you to learn a lesson about the thing, the bad thing you did to get this illness. Because everyone is going to do some, is going to have some illness. So therefore, everyone has done some bad thing. You know, the Buddha himself died of like dysentery. He ate a piece of pork that wasn't thoroughly cooked. So... Do we say, you know, well, he should have known that he shouldn't have eaten that, eaten that pork. And if he was so perfect and purified, he, he would have just lived forever and, or he would have died in his sleep. But no, he just was a regular person. He had a piece of pork that wasn't cooked. There was no way of preventing that. And he died of this disease. And no matter how much enlightenment or meditation he did, it overtook his body. Right. And so... Meditation is not necessarily going to cure your disease. In some cases it can, because the disease might be caused by or be worsened by these psychological, spiritual roots. But I wouldn't recommend trying to use meditation to heal or cure a disease. What it does is it relaxes the whole system. It helps you investigate the emotions around the disease. And in some cases, it can do healing. And it does the healing by letting you return back to the natural state of wholeness and healing that you already are. So in some cases, healing or sorry, illnesses or imbalances come from holding patterns of fear or guilt or shame or grief or lies or illusion or attachment that get in the way of the body naturally healing itself. So if you think about, you know, I'm having digestion issues. Well, the body as it's designed is pretty good at digesting food. But if I have put tension around my digestive organs and that tension is related to um, self-esteem issues, when I eat and there's tension in that system, the blood doesn't flow properly in that system, in the digestive system, and it gets in the way, it impairs the natural functioning. So the, the meditation in this case doesn't cure the disease in the, in the traditional Western sense of it. What it does is it 
by releasing the tension and the issues around self-esteem, it allows the body to do what it was already wanting to do in the first place. It gets out of the way, in other words. And medicine, whether it's pills or, you know, certain external treatments, whether it's massage or, you know, this or that lifestyle change, those medicines are only effective to the degree that they, they help get the obstacles out of the way. But they don't provide anything to the system that isn't already there. So for example, you know, you might, I mean, I don't know, I guess we could debate that, but I think if, if a, say a supplement is to be really effective, what it's doing is it's supplementing a certain chemical imbalance to the degree that the body was unable to see or find ways to find it naturally. And by supplementing it, it's retraining the body to say, hey, like this is a, this is a chemical or a nutrient that you need. Why aren't you eating that, this or that thing to get you that? So, it, and then you could say, well, that's obviously what a supplement is, but I think it's kind of like flipping the definition of it. It's not giving me something I don't have in the, in the long term. It's about telling or showing my body that I already have the natural ability or natural strength to be a certain way. And so you will, with a disease, you'll create a ego project or plan to try to fix it. And that can actually just add more stress into the system. And a lot of guilt about maybe I'm not doing enough. On the flip side, you might completely ignore it and just repeat patterns that are repeating those or tightening those obstacles. So we have to find a middle way again between, well, illness is illness. It's inevitable. I can't avoid it. I'm going to grow old and die anyway. Right. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't take care of myself. But on the other side, if I am full of worry and fear and I come up with this obsessive compulsive project to kind of like everything I eat has to be according to this plan because this plan will heal me. That's going to be on the other end, just as stressful to the system. So somewhere between fear and worry, a fear and worrying healing plan and a kind of despairing healing plan, like, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well just keep smoking these cigarettes. You know, somewhere in the middle there is, well, I am going to die and to not take care of myself while I'm here is to really not be in the moment, really not pay attention to the needs of the moment. Um, and you have to, every illness is going to be a practice in the sense of you're, you're trying to find a middle way between those two things. But one of the easiest ways to find that middle way is to recognize that illness is inevitable, which is not a reason to despair. And it's also not a reason to worry because yes, ultimately you're going to die from something. There's one more point I was going to make. Um,
I think the last point is, you know, if you do have some imbalance and let's say you pick up a book on natural healing and you read, okay, for eczema, like this is the type of supplements I should take. This is how I should change my diet. And it's caused by stress or this or that or the other thing. You're going to take on this healing plan for a period of time. And that's probably a good thing because it shows that you do care. But most likely, just like taking on a meditation practice, the intention is not going to be fully clear or pure from the get-go. It's going to contain a lot of anxiety and fear and worry. So anytime you apply a treatment plan or medication, do it in a way that's more open and more free and not as pressured on yourself. And then it's okay to you know, do that for three weeks and then go off your, your diet plan or the op do the opposite of what you think is good for you. Because you'll either find that the healing plan wasn't doing anything or you'll find that it needs to be readjusted because, oh, well, I tried this food that I was told not to eat and it actually makes me feel better, so I want to incorporate that in. Or it, it'll show you that the healing plan is sound, is really good, because you'll notice how um, bad you feel without it. And, you know, there's going to be certain situations where my advice, I'm not giving you medical advice where this is not the right advice. If there's certain things where you're, you have to stay on a certain medication or whatnot, listen to your doctor. But there is also this idea that I think doctors don't share with you, well, I can cure, I might be able to cure your illness, but I can't cure the fundamental problem here, which is that you're going to get old and die. But... It's not really a problem either. This is a fundamental truth. It's one of the noble truths that life is suffering. Birth, old age, sickness, and death is true. This type of suffering is true and unavoidable. So which means that it's perfect, it's beautiful when you're ill because it's part of life. So that is another way in which you can help, find, help yourself find that middle way by sitting with the fact that your illness, you know, you might have done some horrible thing, but it doesn't matter because everyone does some horrible thing. And that's perfect and beautiful too. The whole red hot mess is perfect. It's perfect. And if you can be with it as it is in the moment, it's perfect. If you can really be Zen about this and whatever you're feeling, this horrible pain you're feeling, just be with it 100% and see the beauty in it as a teacher, as inevitability, as real life. And ultimately the teacher, the teaching from illness is that you are more than your body. You aren't your body. You simply come into a body to live into the world. And it sucks when your body doesn't work the way you want it to. But you aren't your body. You aren't your thoughts. You're something else. And a really hard illness, if you practice with it, 
not if you just put up with it, but if you practice with it, it will teach you to go beyond your body, beyond your mind. It'll give you the gift of freedom.